Well, everyone, we're about to jump into uh, some Old Testament study, and I'm super excited about it. We're going to jump into the book of Joshua, book of Joshua today. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I'm super excited about this message because this message hopefully is going to help us understand what it looks like to follow Jesus in an uncertain time. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in an uncertain time? Some context on the verse passage we're about to read is that this is after Moses. So this, this is the people of Israel who are coming into their promised land but haven't entered it yet. That they came out of Egypt, the covenant was given and made with Abraham, and they have this covenant, the chosen people of Israel, then they become enslaved in Egypt. And now this moment where they've come out of Egypt, Moses has gotten the Ten Commandments, they've had all these miracles be done, Moses has now died, and Joshua, this is like his first moment to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. But there's one issue, is that they're not there yet, and there's a giant obstacle in front of them. And as we're about to read, we can see God's prescription for us. It says in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Verse 4, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. I want to talk about three things this morning. Your faith, his presence, and your consecration. Your faith, his presence, and your consecration. What I want to title this message is, You Have Not Been This Way Before. You Have Not Been This Way Before. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, we love you so much. I'm asking that your spirit, God, would open our eyes and ears to see and hear everything that you want to speak to us. God, you are holy and you are good. Let this be a moment where we can refocus on the true prize of our lives, which is Jesus. Father, we love you so much, and more importantly, you love us. So Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a message for anybody who is trying to follow Jesus in an uncertain time. That you have not been this way before. I don't know if you've ever been lost. I don't know if you've ever had a plan that you thought you're supposed to be somewhere by a certain time. Maybe you've tried to navigate the metro in a new city. Maybe you've tried to be in a new school. Maybe you've tried to learn a new job, learn a new thing. And you realize that you have never done this thing before, so you're not even sure how it's supposed to be done in the first place. The Israelites find themselves at this impasse where they are trying to go into what God has promised them all along, this promised land, this ever-elusive promised land for the Israelites. And now their former leader, Moses, who was the best leader, arguably, of all time, has now passed away. And now they're left with this new leader, who is now forced and given the opportunity to bring them into their promised land. 
but the issue is that they have a huge obstacle in front of them. I'm not sure what your obstacle is. I'm not sure what your uh, Jordan River is, but I think God has a prescription for all of us in where and what we need to do. First, your faith. Faith is a prerequisite for you to fulfill your purpose. I just want to start there. I don't know if you knew this, but faith is going to be and needs to be a prerequisite for you to fulfill your purpose. It's super easy to develop a purpose for ourselves, in ourselves, and because of ourselves. But if you can fulfill your purpose by yourself, it's probably too small. God has not asked us to live this Christian life alone. He's called us into community. I love that Pastor Corey was just mentioning this moment of communion, our spiritual Gatorade, I think it's what you called it, wasn't just for us. It's a community aspect. This is for the corporate body to worship the king. Our purpose is going to need to be accompanied by faith. And faith, just like a muscle, the more you work it, the more it grows. And the less you work it, guess what? The weaker it gets. Israel was given the opportunity to keep on working out their faith. And God told them in a few chapters before Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, we can't go there right now, that they would pass over the Jordan that there was going to be an obstacle and they would pass over the Jordan. And then in chapter three, verse two, he says, then wait. Now, if I don't know, I don't know if you've followed Jesus for a long time or for a short time, but have you ever felt like Jesus asked you to do something? And then when you got there, he told you to wait, man, that's frustrating, right? (laughs) That you, you feel like this is mine, that I'm supposed, I can see it, God. I see where I'm supposed to go. I see where my kids are going to be. I see the school. I see the job. I see the future. I see all of these things. And then God tells you to wait. This is where Israel finds themselves. A promise and then in waiting. And sometimes we think that waiting is a punishment from God. And it's actually not a punishment. Waiting is actually an opportunity. Because sometimes I think we can wait and think that waiting is just passive. That I don't do anything. I'm just in line waiting for my blessing. I'm just in line waiting for my purpose. But waiting in the Christian life has never been and will never be passive. And if it is passive, that means we're not exercising our muscle of faith to accompany God's purpose for our lives. Waiting is never passive in the Christian life. And waiting is not something that the Israelites were not used to. They were waiting kind of because of themselves in the wilderness for 40 years before. So you can imagine their distress when they get to the promised land. They can see it. They see the last obstacle in front of them. And then they realize that you're asking me to wait more? You want me to keep on waiting? God's given them an opportunity to exercise their faith right in the middle. And sometimes I think that knowing is the enemy of faith. Certainty is the enemy of faith. That because I know it, I don't need faith to do it. If I know what's going to happen, I don't need faith for what's going to happen. If I know where my kid's going, I don't need faith to pray for my kid. If I know what school I'm going to go to, I don't need faith to... If I know where my next meal... If I know all of these things, I don't need faith for all of these things. And sometimes the moment at which we are the weakest is the moment where God is saying, that's exactly where I want you. Not because he's maniacal, not because he wants us in pain, but what if that is more of an invitation to trust him rather than just an invitation to wait and be passive? 
Sometimes I think that knowing is the enemy of faith. God brought them into an unfamiliar time to increase their faith. And that holding on to what God says, this is something that I've learned, that holding on to what God says is always safer than holding on to what you see. If you had a word in Joshua 1 that we were going to cross over this Jordan, then I better hold on to that word when I see the Jordan. If you had a word for your life and you have faith that God is going to bring you through something, as soon as you get to something, we better not retreat from that something knowing that God's going to bring us over that something. That God is giving them an opportunity right now to hold on to what he said rather than what they just see. I've heard it said that God's glory is seen in us best. Let me read this. God's glory is seen the best when the conviction of those who believe are observed by those who don't. God's glory is best seen when the conviction of those who believe are observed by those who don't. When things aren't going your way, what do you do? When we don't have what we want, what we feel like God has promised us, what do we do? Are we being as faithful as we can and waiting for God to step in? If we want God's purpose for our lives, we have to rely on God's plan for our lives. This is an opportunity in the middle for the Israelites to have their faith partner with God's purpose. And if God said that he's going to do it, then he's going to do it. It's not your job to accomplish God's plan for your life. I don't know if that's new for you, but hopefully that's a weight off of your shoulders, that it's not your job to accomplish God's plan for your life. It's your job to be faithful. It's your job to water the seed that he gave you. It's your job to give sunlight to that seed that he gave you. It wasn't Israel's job to get out of Egypt. They just had to put blood on the doorpost. It wasn't their job to convince Pharaoh. Just Moses had to speak to him. It wasn't their job to part the sea just to walk through. It's not your job to change your family. It's your job to love them. It's not your job to fix your boss. It's your job to serve him. It's not your job to change everything about yourself. If we could change everything about ourselves, the Savior wouldn't be necessary. But at some point in our lives, we're going to have to come to the end of ourselves and realize that God is inviting me into an opportunity to use my faith to partner with his purpose so we can accomplish our purpose in our time. This is what the Israelites were doing. They were partnering with God's purpose for their lives. This is a faith that says, regardless of what I see, I choose faith. I'm not ignoring what I see. I see the Jordan, right? I don't know what your Jordan is, but I see the Jordan. I see the difficulty. I see the issue. I see why everyone else says that this can't happen. And I still choose faith. A new territory requires a new faith. A new territory requires a new faith. Secondly, talking about his presence. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was one of the most sacred and beautiful things to the people of God. It literally and actually represented the presence of God on earth. And this was incredible because this Ark of the Covenant was filled with things from their history. 
Ark of the Covenant in it had 10 commandments that Moses got down. Aaron's rod and a jar of manna. Now, these things in themselves, if you're not familiar with Israel's past, don't sound like very uh, covenantal things, but they are. Because this ten, these 10 commandments that Moses had, this represented the law that was given to the Israelites. The rod of Aaron represents the deliverance that brought them out of Egypt. And the jar of manna that they had represented the provision that God was giving them when they were wandering in the wilderness. That they had their law, their provision, and their deliverance with them wherever they went. That this was their opportunity to hold in reverence and in adoration everything that God had done for them. That they could see and hold, well, they weren't supposed to touch it, but they could see what God had given them in their history and hold on to that. That God's presence was going with them. Joshua said that the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be held by the Levitical priests and go before them about half a mile before them. And everybody was supposed to follow this Ark into the Promised Land. The issue is that they're approaching the Jordan River. And this Ark of the Covenant was something special. One of my favorite stories that we can't read right now, but in 1 Samuel chapter 5, we see that the Ark of the Covenant is so strong and powerful that God was actually taken by the Philistines at some point. Do you remember the story? That God was take, the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, right? And he was brought into this idol's uh, uh, house of worship called Dagon. And when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Dagon, they set it before him hid his uh, 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 like, uh, uh, house of worship, his altar, right? And as soon as they do that, they leave it there, they go away. They come back in the morning and Dagon has fell on his face. All of a sudden, his face is broken, his hands are broke. And everybody's like, oh, that's a bad sign. <laughs> I don't like that. And then all of a sudden they come back and it's this sign where the people are afflicted, their God has fallen. And long story short, the people now realize, I don't want anything to do with this God because this God just dethroned my God just like that. The Ark of the Covenant had history. The Ark of the Covenant was powerful to the people of Israel. Sometimes what I'm realizing when you think about what was inside the Ark of the Covenant, Israel's history, Israel's testimony, God's faithfulness, is that sometimes the best way to advance is to remember. Sometimes the best way to advance is to remember. I mean, what has God really done for you? What has God done for you? Have we ever really actively remembered what God has done for me, for us, for my family? The people of Israel had a clear representation right here on the Ark of the Covenant, what God has done for them. To accomplish their purpose, God asked the people of Israel to keep his faithfulness before them. Walking behind it in full view of everyone, the Ark of the Covenant was leading their way. This is why it's so important for us to stay in God's presence when we're going into uncharted territory. You risk missing your purpose if your eagerness runs ahead of his faithfulness. They were supposed to stay behind the ark, not in front of it. They weren't even supposed to stand beside the ark. They weren't even supposed to come close to the ark. It was supposed to be far enough ahead so they had, everybody had full view of what the ark of the covenant was doing. Because it's, it's beautiful because this is a representation of God saying that I want everyone to see because if the Ark of the Covenant was just in the middle and everyone could crowd around, can you imagine 
an entire people group of people. Some people were close to us, some people were far away. But God's saying, I don't want certain people to be closer to my presence than other people. I have given you full access, let's jump into the New Testament, through Jesus, that now it's not about how close, how far, how near, where you've been and where you are to my presence. Everyone has access to the same God through Jesus because the veil now has been torn. It's not about how close, how far anymore with Jesus. With Jesus now, we have the opportunity to get as close to the presence as we want. The Israelites didn't even have that opportunity. They were instructed not to. And now we, as people of the new covenant, have the opportunity to walk closely in his presence. You have not been this way before. Knowing that his presence is our best guide, it kind of reveals to me that God's presence is a better guide than my perspective is. Because God's presence has better perspective. I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but your perspective is only what you can perceive. I don't know if that's a shock to anybody, but the only things that you can perceive is the only thing that your perspective has. But if we had a heavenly perspective, if there was somebody on our side who had the entire perspective, if there was a God who maybe knew the end from the beginning, if there was a God who was maybe outside of time and knew everything that was going on in your life, if there was a God maybe who knit you together in your mother's womb, if there was a God who maybe knew every hair on your head, if there was a God who maybe actually brought you into this world on purpose and for a purpose, maybe we would rely on his perspective more than our perspective. That his presence is a way better guide than our perspective is. And the thing I've learned about God's presence is that when you get into God's presence, it's probably going to change two things. One, it'll change my circumstances. Or two, it'll change me. <laughs> and it's, it's almost like a, uh, like a two birds with one stone thing because... More often than not, I kind of cause my circumstances that need to be changed. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get myself into situations when I go to God and I'm like, God, save me, please help me. And then he's like, yeah, if you get in my presence, I'll change that with one stone because you kind of cause your circumstances to change. But if you get in my presence, I'll change you, which will actually end up changing your circumstances. God's presence is going to change one of two things, you or your circumstances. And sometimes my circumstances were caused by me. <laughs> A new place needs a fresh faith and a fresh touch of his presence. I think that when you're uncertain in following God into some place that you've never been before, we realize how uncertain that we really are. And what I've realized in my past is that uncertainty grabs on to certainty. Have you noticed that? You're on a roller coaster, you get terrified, you grab onto something that you think will hold you. You're watching a scary movie, maybe next to someone that you like, and you grab onto them. You're, 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 you don't know what's going on. You feel shaking. Maybe you've been in an earthquake or something. You, you try to get someplace that is secure. Uncertainty always grabs on to certainty. When we are the most uncertain, that's when we grab onto the things that we think are the most certain. And that's kind of scary because when you're uncertain, what do you grab onto? What do I grab onto? When we're uncertain, do we grab onto a relationship? 
When we're uncertain, do we grab on to social media? Do we grab on to distractions? When we're uncertain, do we grab on to money? When we're uncertain, do we grab on to rules? When we're uncertain, do we grab on to our job, to our school, to our friends? Or when we're uncertain, do we grab on to a drink? Do we grab on to a substance? When we're uncertain, what do we grab on to when we're uncertain? Because uncertainty inevitably will grab on to certainty. This is why I think, honestly, that some people who are in unhealthy relationships end up going back to the same person that hurt them. Why? Because out there is uncertain. It, with, with this, I mean, at least I know something that's going to happen. It might not be the healthiest thing, but it's a certain thing. And I'm certain with this out there, I don't know what will happen out there. I'm uncertain with what will happen out there. And usually uncertainty grabs onto certainty. And I'm convinced that one of God's favorite tools to use is uncertainty. I'm convinced. I don't think it's, I don't think it's from the enemy. I don't think it's from the devil. I think sometimes uncertainty is a tool that God uses to help us. Why? Um, if you remember a story in Matthew chapter 14, we see uh, the uh, a disciple, Apostle Peter, right? Peter is one of those guys who's kind of knucklehead, speaks his mind all the time, right? And so Peter at one point, Matthew chapter 14, they're going across the sea and Jesus says that he's going to meet them, right? Jesus stays back. They get on the boat. They get on the boat, all Jesus' best friends. And as soon as they get on the boat, they're going across and they see a figure walking out on the water. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. They see a figure walking out on the water. And as soon as they see it, they're like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. It's crazy. And then essentially he's like, no, it's me. And Peter's like, oh, you, like you, Jesus, you? And he was like, yeah, it's me. And Peter was like, all right, well, if it's really you, call me out on the water. Boss move by Peter, right? <laughs> if it's really you, call me out on the water. No one's ever done this before. And then P and Jesus is like, all right, cool, come on. And Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking on water. We've heard this story. And as soon as all Peter sees the winds and the waves, what does Peter do? Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, right? And keeps his eyes on the waves and his circumstances and begins to sink. Now we've heard that story before, but something that I was shown recently by God in this story is that this was a moment, two moments that Peter had, had two different decisions. What were those two decisions? That Peter in this moment, when he saw this figure walking on the water and this man said, hey, it is me, that was a moment of uncertainty for Peter. In one moment, Peter's uncertainty pushed him towards faith. In the next moment, Peter saw the winds and the waves and that moment of uncertainty pushed him to worry. Let me tell you guys, this is exactly what God is asking us to do in this moment. When you're in uncertainty, that is not from the enemy. I've learned that grass and weeds need the same thing to grow, water and soil. Worry and faith need the same thing to grow, uncertainty. You had Peter in one moment of uncertainty choose faith. Who are you? Call me out on the water. You had Peter in the next moment of uncertainty choose worry. Faith and worry need the same thing to grow uncertainty. We need to get into his presence. Lastly, consecration. It says in verse five that the Lord, I'm just going to read this for us in Joshua chapter three, verse five, he said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. 
And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole passage because this word consecration means to prepare yourself, to dedicate yourself, to be separate from That this is a moment for us to see God, to say, God, I'm choosing now not to be my own, but to prepare myself for what is going to happen for a specific task. And what this says, I'll read again, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. This doesn't say consecrate yourselves so that tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It says consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will. Dedicate yourselves to God because he is, not so that he will. We need to dedicate ourselves to God because he is, not so that he will. The blessing is coming. I mean, the people of Israel knew this for years and years that they were going to be in the promised land. They had the faith. They had the presence. Now it was time for them to consecrate themselves, not so that he will, but because he is. We need to dedicate ourselves when we are moving into moments of uncertainty with God. And this tells me right here that God's wonders are not based on my works. God's going to do it. It's it's going to happen. This is preparing myself. Consecration is not not trying to fix my circumstances. Consecration is not like I'm going to twist God's arm to say, God, I'm being a good Christian now. I'm following you right now. Please make the bad things stop and the good things start. God is saying, consecrate yourselves because I'm already doing it. Tomorrow, He will do wonders among you. God is wonderful all on his own and his wonders are to point back to his glory. God is entirely wonderful and his wonders are not just to impress the Israelites. God's wonders are always gonna point back to God's glory. And the more that we are in wonder of him, the more glorious we see him to be. Not the glorious, not the more glorious that he is. He is as glorious as he will ever be. And sometimes we just get a little bit of a peek at how glorious he actually is. And as soon as we see more wonders, we realize how glorious he is. And as soon as we see how glorious he is, we see how wonderful he is. And as soon as we see how wonderful he is, we see how glorious he is. And it keeps like a revolving door, keeps pointing back to himself because the goal of the wonder is not the blessing. The goal of the wonder is the king. All of his wonders are pointing back, not to us and not back to our success. God, I, 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 hate, this, I hate to break this to you, but I don't think God is going to bless you just because he wants you to be happy. Although he wants you to be happy, but God wants to bless you for his glory. It's not just for you. We can easily think that my blessings are for me. God loves me so much. I've been such a good Christian during this pandemic. I've given so much money. I've been so selfless. I even helped out with Grace Loves and Pastor Corey. I mean, God is going to bless me, right? But what if the consecration isn't for the blessing, but what if the consecration is just so that we can see how wonderful he is? Sometimes we think that a blessing for me, is something that I get, that I'm going to be getting money. I'm going to be getting a job. I'm going to be getting a spouse. I'm going to be getting into my school. I'm going to be getting something. But what if God's blessing for you is actually just a peek at his wonder? As Darian comes up, I want to close because this consecration is not just 
for us. This is for more than us. God was bringing the people of Israel into something beautiful. As we dedicate ourselves to God, we see more and more of his wonder. Not more and more of our blessing. Not more and more of what I want to see. I mean, God forbid and God forgive me for the times when I've tried to consecrate and dedicate myself by my works to think that God will be more pleased with me if I do more things for him. If I act better for him. If I work harder for him. But the blessing that God wants to give maybe isn't you having an easier life. But what if the blessing from God is that you get to see more of his wonder? How many of us are really dedicated to the Lord in this season of uncertainty? That we're moving and not sure what the next step is. We still have a Jordan in front of us. We're still trying to figure out how to grab our faith. We're still trying to figure out how to get into his presence. And I'll let you guys know something, that God is far more faithful than we are. I mean, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. And it's almost our tendency to rush back to me and say, well, I haven't been good enough for that. I might not deserve to cross over. I mean, this uncertain time, I I haven't been faithful. I haven't had a lot of faith. I haven't gotten his presence. And let me tell you, in the same way that that prodigal was welcomed back by his father with no apology necessary, God is welcoming you back, putting a ring on your finger, putting a coat on your shoulders, putting sandals on your feet, giving, throwing you an actual party. Because why? Because you were so good? <laughs> I mean, the prodigal was not good. If anything, God, Jesus says no one is good, but he was really bad. And before he had a chance to apologize for everything that he didn't do, the father welcomes him and says, this isn't about what you did. I'm just happy that you're alive. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And this is an opportunity when we're moving into uncertainty, not to rely on ourselves. Not to push back and say, I'm going to do what I know and I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to grind harder. I'm going to just try and do more. But God is saying it's not about doing more. It's never been about doing more. That's a lie that we've believed for far too long. And I wonder if Jesus is calling us back and saying, even if you haven't had the faith in this season, even if you haven't gotten in my presence this season, even if you haven't dedicated yourself this season, know that I am still faithful. And I am still going to do wonders. Because the wonders aren't because you were so good. The wonders are to point back to him. Will you pray with me? God, as we're moving into an uncertain season, (laughs) and some of us still in an uncertain season, We acknowledge that we haven't been this way before. As a nation, as a church, and as individuals. 
this is uncharted territory for us. And we're asking that, oh God, our faith partnering with your presence and our dedication to the Lord, God, would be pleasing in your sight. That you've already promised that we'll cross over. God, our biggest victory has already come in the person of Jesus. Our biggest blessing is already here in the room. Lord, would we see clearly the purposes and the plans that you have for us? And would we honorably give you back your glory?